0: We are building a religion, we are building it bigger, we are widening the corridors and adding more lanes, we are building a religion, a limited edition, we are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains, you resist it, useless. useless, So this is the Ruby on Rails podcast, I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach here in San Francisco, nice sunny day, a little colder than I expected, but it's nice to be here with Josh Susser and has a blog at hasmanythrough.com, recently promoted as one of the official bloggers on weblog.rubyonrails.com. He's worked at Xerox, Apple, Sun, a bunch of other places, and is now a highly sought out web developer writing Ruby on Rails. So welcome. Thank you. So you've had quite a history. I mean, you you look young, but you've done uh, Thank you. done quite a lot. Probably while I was still tromping uh, things out on a TRS eighty, you were writing small talk and all these kinds of things at Xerox. How did that start? Were you right out of college, or I, did that take a while to work into that?
1: I actually started as a summer intern working at Xerox. I, I wasn't at Park. A lot of people assume when you say small talk and Xerox, ah. that you're at Park. I was at the Pasadena office. You know, I went to Caltech and. I was working in Carver Mead's lab, and he said, "Hey, you know, anyone want to work for uh, for Xerox?" And I said, "Well, will they pay me more than you?" He said, "Sure." I said, "Okay, sign me up." And a couple of us went over, and we learned small talk, and I ended up working there for about four years. And, you know, some while I was in college, and some after, and it was uh, it was very cool. The uh, you know, it was in the mid '80s, and you know, small talk was still pretty unknown back then. I think we were the first people writing commercial applications that we sold in Smalltalk. And, uh, you know, we did some pretty cool stuff back then.
0: Wow. So And definitely Ruby's influence by Smalltalk, Matt, has mentioned that, and some things just come straight out of it. Oh, yeah. Did it's, you it's notice very that? Okay.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 you know, I spent so many years programming in Smalltalk, and, you know, most of the stuff that I see in Ruby is just totally familiar to me. That you know, from the, from blocks to the collection, you know, iterators and you know some of the even some of the names of uh, of the weirder methods. So it's uh, and you know and the rest of it is just kind of simple functional programming. And then there's a little bit of parallelisms thrown in. So you know, I, it it took me just you know only a few hours to get really comfortable with programming in Ruby.
0: So of course, in many ways, small talk has had much more time and money put into it. What excites you about Ruby or Rails in particular? Does it seem like it's just kind of a, a slimmed-down version of, of some of the things Smalltalk had, or does it really seem like, hey, this is something new and they're, they're working out some new ideas here?
1: Well, the, the language itself, I think, is more expressive than Smalltalk. Okay. So Smalltalk was very simple, and it it was kind of you know they tried to build the simplest thing that would work and you know and they purposefully took out a lot of the things that you would ordinarily put in the language and you know did that in the classes in the in the class library and so you know the the language itself doesn't really have much in the way of control structures that you know it has a few simple branching byte codes but the you know you can construct higher level control structures in the class library and that's what, and they they took that route a lot of ways you know you know there's some very simple pr- minimal primitives for doing threads and then all the rest of thread management happens in the class library
0: and, and you see that a little bit in ruby you've got each and then they they're using blocks to then expand on top of that right. for each with index and right. inject and the different things like that
1: yes they definitely follow along that way you know, I haven't dug into the guts of Ruby, and I don't understand how the language uh, operates at the same level I do for Smalltalk, but um, it seems like there's a lot more to it. You know, some of the stuff they do with regular expressions and some of the other, um, you know, more interesting control structures. The, you know, for instance, Smalltalk never had case statements. Some people have tried to hack okay. them on, but, um, you know, Smalltalk had the, you know, took this position that everything should be message-passing and object-oriented, and, you know, Ruby, there's a lot of things that don't really look object-oriented, even though, th- you, know, you know, there's this uh, tension between the object-oriented nature of it and the functional nature of it. So you have, you know, things like case statements that evaluate to, express you know, their expressions, so they evaluate to an object, and then you can do something with that. But they're not implemented in terms of a message-passing paradigm.
0: So there's a little flexibility there. I think I like that with case, you can say you know case something when but then the condition with when can be an regular expression it can be a class a class yeah, right. and you can there's a lot of flexibility
1: yeah. it to can be take range, different parameters. yeah yeah or, there's a i i love that there's a you know so and that's you know the power of polymorphism so which is uh, you know one of the best things about these kind of languages
0: and rails even uses that a lot you can as a in some of the parameters you can pass a single value or you can pass an array and it'll figure out what the right thing is and, mm-hmm. and do the right thing with it. Yes. Well a lot of people write and they say, you know, we want to hear a lot more very practical things on the podcast. And you know, I don't know if this is the right area to do a step by step walkthrough of is how you do this or that, but your blog is called Has Many Through and, and that's a new feature of Rails. So talk a little what is has many through, why is that useful in Rails and what have you contributed to that?
1: Okay, well, I, I was not involved in the implementation of the feature right. at all. That was kind of happened at the same time that I appeared on the scene.
0: You just took uh, the said domain names available on the
1: Yeah well actually um you know, habtm dot com. Yes, from was, Courtney yeah, Gaskey. Yeah, that was that was my inspiration. I, said, I thought
0: about it when I saw it. I was like, ah, some wannabes. He really <laughs> yeah. wanted me. He got a little mad at, at me for uh, for, uh, for okay.
1: ripping him off. But uh, I considered it more of a, of a you know kudos to him and an <laughs> acknowledgement. Uh, he inspired me. I was like, hey, I really need a you know a Railsy name, and this is something new about Rails, so I can probably get it. And I was right. So. So, it, but it's funny because I, you know, I just kind of took the name at random. It wasn't like that was, I was trying to have that be my specialty, but I just started writing about it and it was up, you know, cause it was apropos and, uh, it seems to be something that I've run with and, you know, so I've, I've kind of, uh, figured out a lot about what's going, what goes on with it and, and, you know, done some writing about it. So I'm sort of a de facto expert. Uh, I, I'd call it old news by now in, in kind of Rails timeline because you know it's well been out things move fastly. Months. But
0: still, people <laughs> right, it's it's new and
1: people yeah. aren't familiar with it and right. So, so what what does it do? Right. So the the key thing about has many through well, a lot of people have been doing many to many relationships between tables, objects, models, whatever you want to uh, call the endpoints. Um, you, you know, these has and belongs to many. Which uh, kind of has this abstract hidden relationship? You know, it uses a join table. Joined it
0: yeah.
1: Right. The cool thing about has many through is that it reifies that that relationship into a first class object, which then becomes something that you can work with. You can manipulate it. You can talk to it and find out things. And you know, that's that's pretty cool. That you know, has and belongs to many was getting kind of messy. They were, you know, they had. Uh, uh, develop push with attributes Yes, I tried to use that Yeah, and and there are problems with it you, know, you don't have a primary key there so it's very hard to modify those attributes once you have them in place and it was just a real pain
0: So it's kind of like if you have authors and books then you have a, a middle join table that has author ID, book ID but maybe this is a co-author or, or a primary uh, author and you can't really add those other right. attributes onto there
1: Yeah, and and, and that's a pain so, um, has many through, because you have this whole, you, know, you have a, 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 a first-class embodiment, embodiment of that relationship. You can do something with it. Um, the, it does require a little shift in your thinking. You know, if you're used to has and belongs to many, uh, you know, where the, the relationship was kind of implicit, it wasn't explicit. Uh, you know, the, it was nice and very lightweight, you could work with it very much like you could work with has many. You could just left arrow left arrow or less than less than. I I don't know what you call that in in Ruby. Everyone calls it something different.
0: Okay. <laughs> but, like an array.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You can just you know shove stuff in, push stuff into the collection with has many, or, or with has and belongs to many. But has many through, you can't really do that because you would have to assume things about the join model to create it automatically, and you know you know. The core so that would I never
0: had. really be possible.
1: Well, the, we can talk about that in a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, One step I, I, I at have, I have a time. I have a science project I'm working on. <laughs> but, uh, but just at the basics, what's actually supported in core, the, the thing that it does is you work with the join model to create these relationships. So instead of, you know, if you have, say, you know, people and books and you want to you know you have a has many through relationship you don't say you know person you know you know person dot books less than less than some new book um, you say you know you have an authorship or a contribution and you create a new instance of that you you know create a new record in that join model table and you tell it about the author and the book to join together so it's it's a shift in the way of thinking so you think more about the model you know, about that joins the two things than about the endpoints to some extent. That's um, that sometimes that you know it's less transparent, it's a little clunky sometimes for the some of the kinds of things that hasn't belongs to many does well, but it lets you do other things. So so one of the one of my favorite tricks to do with has many through is you can create specialized associations that You know, key off of you know they use the same join model. They have they join together the same tables, but you can bind conditions into them to make them more specialized.
0: Okay, so that middle table is special,
1: right? And and what that lets you do is filter the filter the relationships by some attribute on the join model. The, I have examples of this on my blog if you, okay. if you go look around. But the you know my my favorite example of that is if you have um, if you have books and you have people who contribute to the books, so you have a contributions join model between them. You can put a role in that. So a contribution is either I'm a, I'm an author, I'm an editor, or an illustrator, what have you. Okay. Um, then you can create. So, so you have uh, you know book has many contributions. Book has many people through contributions but you can also say has many authors through contributions where the role is author ah and you know so with one with one table joining the two models you can get all these different con- flavors of relationship and if you were to do that with has and belongs to many you'd have to create a new table for each one of those relationships which uh, is messy, it's not extensible because you have to modify your database scheme every time you want to have a new kind of relationship. Yeah. So it, it just doesn't scale the same way. So a lot of this, it seems like it's just,
0: it's shortcuts, you know, it's not anything. Well, in some of the ways, it's easy, it makes it easier to work with the database, so more complex things are feasible because it's a little bit easier to, to work with this, but then it, you get all these shortcuts of authors... And people, So they're referring to kind of the same things, but more selected, and it makes it a lot easier to work with.
1: Yes, I think it's a more expressive kind of relationship. And, you know, it's... You know, I'm an old object-oriented programmer. It's the expressive power of objects. Anytime you can reify something, you create something that embodies a concept, it gives you leverage to work with it more powerfully. So that's exactly what's going on with Hasmoney Through. So... The... And, it, let's see, in terms of the science project I mentioned, I, it's still experimental, but I'm working on uh, kind of a little nano framework for being able to have some of the, the collection behavior on as many through associations in the cases where you can have sensible defaults for the things that you define in the join model. And it, it's, it requires only a little bit of metaprogramming to get that to work. Okay. So...
0: Couldn't you also, if it, if you need something more specific, you could just have one of the model have some class methods or instance methods on one of the models to where it could create the defaults it needs in the middle one?
1: Yes, you, Yeah. absolutely you can do that. I'm just trying to dry some of that up.
0: Yeah, that would be more specific to the application, but yours would be generic.
1: Yeah, like it I said, it's a it's it's like a phase. little nano it's not even a mini framework, it's like a nano framework. Okay. It's, it's one abstract class that you that you specialize to, you know, create these things that would ordinarily take you a lot of work to to do by implementing methods in each of the classes. So it's it's coming along very nicely and I'm hoping that I'll have have uh, something to announce fairly soon. We'll see. As all science projects, there's a chance it'll blow up in my face.
0: Yes. So.
1: Research and development. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's it. On has many through at the moment.
0: So for me, I'm here. I'm going to teach a workshop tomorrow. And one of the conflicts for me is I'm always learning new things about Rails, even if things that have been in in the core of Rails for a while, or maybe even out there as plugins. But then I discover something, and it seems really great for me. Scott Barron's access state machine just seems really cool. It kind of metaprogramming it does and, and how useful it is for switching things between states of, you know, free subscriber or not a subscriber, you know, this or pending ordered, received paid, all that kind of stuff and trying to work this in. So what, what are some things you've learned recently about rails, even in the last couple months?
1: Oh, there's there's been a lot. I'm <laughs> the, sure. The, uh, um, well, this isn't Rails specific, but I've just okay. re- I've be, I've been come to I've really come to love uh, test driven development. Yeah, you know the way that Rails is supporting it is just really nice, and and I'm reading more about behavior driven development and trying to trying to. get my head around that too and I understand that there's not it's mostly a shift in thinking from test driven development so
0: yeah kind of syntactical but also there's maybe more more meaning to it
1: yeah and I don't I don't want to I don't want to go into that okay because I can't can't do a good job of representing it but uh, I you know I saw Stephen Baker speak at um, the Silicon Valley Ruby conference in April and he you know he made a pretty compelling case for it, even though I was really argumentative from the audience. And, like, you know, Stephen, I'm sorry for that. But the, the uh, um, you know, it got me thinking. And, you know, it's funny, because a lot of the test-driven development stuff uh, is a, you know, it owes its ancestry to how we used to develop in small talk. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be a, you know you know the stuff that I'm doing with test driven development seems very natural. It's very much like how we how we just worked in small talk back in the day, um, but the behavior driven development is a little bit of a shift in thinking. So
0: now, practically, you know, I have a have to represent from Seattle here, but I love auto tests that Ercodol's written and automatically runs your tests in the background, knows which files you've modified, and I've even made a smaller thing that works for me at least in some instances do you use something like that where they're running all in the background or do you code and then you run the whole suite or certain tests how do you do that practically
1: Um, I think auto test sounds really cool and I'm working up to to integrating that into my development process You you know lately I've been spending a lot of time you know spelunking through the Rails code yeah, and there's not a lot you can do there with Autotest. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not helpful there. So, um, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of application development in the last, you know, in the last month or so, so I need to, I need to get myself back into project. I, you know, Rails Day's coming up and yep. I'm not sure if we're going to get set up to be, do that with Autotest, but it's a good idea and I'll have to talk to my, my team about doing that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, who that, knows? For me, I feel faster, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be using it because that's gonna give me a little edge up on all those other Rails Day teams.
1: Oh, good! <laughs> you got your project all picked out.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: Oh, good, good. Well, d- don't don't kick too many of our butts. Uh, the uh, so so there's the test driven development. So that's been kind of a new way okay. of of, uh, of doing development, and it's not it's refreshing to be able to have a system that to have a system that supports being able to do that. In terms of the, the kind of Rails API and, and programming techniques, I've been looking at the response to stuff in action in Action Controller.
0: So the response to respond to yeah. where you can right. send out XML, HTML, whatever based on what the browser wants?
1: Uh, yeah, the yeah the browser sets the accepts header in the in the request. And then, you know, the respond to helper is, you know, you can just, it's like a case statement. And you can say, okay, if it's, if the, if the accepts header is looking for XML, you, you know, you call this view template. Or you, you know, you render this view template. If it's looking for JavaScript, you can use this RJS template. If it's just HTML, use the RHTML. And, but you can even get specific, you can have um, a before filter where you rewrite things and have and you know, specify it to okay, I'm looking for RSS, I'm looking for Atom or what have you. And it can just really simplify how you structure your code, gives you more reuse. And you know, then you can throw uh, views named the same as the action, but they just differ in the extension. So you have you know list.rjs, list dot list The
0: way I always think of that is it would be great if when someone visits my blog, of course, if they're just no web browser, they want to see the first few posts in a human-readable format, but if an RSS reader visited it, then they would actually get the RSS feed from that same URL. Is that the kind of thing that's even possible, oh, or right, is this totally. more useful in a very specific thing of, of an API or trying to make a specific update or, yeah, it's, or it, exact it's, content?
1: Yeah, it's really great for the kind of Web 2.0 Things where you know you go you, you go look at the page you know and you get the the HTML view and then you do something AJAX and it and it updates the page using the RJS template and then you know somebody comes and they look at the syndication feed and it gives you the XML view of it so it, and and in your controller you're reusing all of the code to grab the parameters and turn them into uh, you know models yeah you know, active record models. And so that's cool, but there's also, if you look at the simply restful plugin, which is
0: James Buck had written you know, that, yeah,
1: yeah, and, and that's gotten a lot of, of activity right now in, in the trunk. There's there's all sorts of cool helpers and and uh, you know little tweaks that are being made to empower that, where um, you c- you use the method in the HTTP request to. Uh, you know, reuse more code and so you, know, you get some different kinds of routes where you just use the oh, it's kind of hard to, too hard to talk about you know, yeah. you know, I mean speaking but, but it, it's almost like it, but it, it, it no, does no, those routes
0: so that they're more readable and understandable well, and they it, also act in a different
1: way right? Well it lets you take advantage of the verbs, you know, the methods in the HTTP request so that your URL looks really simple you know, you say, okay, well, I'm just looking for posts, and, you know, I don't have to have this verb, the action verb. On, okay, URL. On well, it's, it's implicit or, yeah. in, the, in the, re- the method of the HTTP request. Nice. So if you, if you just call posts, you know, with a get, it gives you a list of them. If you call posts with a post method, it says, okay, I'm creating a new post. If you call posts with an ID and a post method, then it's updating an existing one. You know, So there you know, there's all these different things you can do with you know, it's you know, parsimony. You're getting a whole lot of reuse of not only the routing but of the methods and you know, so it, it's very slick and there's you know, it's not necessarily the what you want to do for all applications, but there's a class of applications where that's gonna be really great and it's gonna simplify things.
0: And, and almost to the fact that instead of writing an application and thinking, okay, now we're done, we're gonna to have to go write an API, well, with that kind of thing you've already got Half the work done, right? And you can use what you've already got existing that's run the rest of your site, but also use it for XML or whatever else you need to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's, that's cool. been, so that's been really cool. The the other thing you're talking about plugins that are you know that are cool. Yeah, I love Dan Webb's um, request routing plugin. Okay, what does it do? That that lets you uh, write routing rules that use a whole bunch more. Attributes or of the request, um, including the subdomain, ah. the the HTTP method, the um, the port, the you know whether it's HTTP or HTTPS, all sorts of things, and that's just great.
0: It is great to see these different ideas, and of course, people don't want Rails to get bloated, but all these things can be added on. People can take advantage of what's there and enhance it. And a lot of these plugins are very; they're not. Really long or complicated, but they do useful things. No,
1: no, Dan's plugin is like a page of code or so. Wow, it's just it's not a ton of code, but uh, it's incredibly useful. Well, one thing
0: I've been running to recently is the the great thing about Rails is it's productive, but you can get a really complex application pretty quickly. In the sense of so many things going on and, and trying to work together in your experience and your experience in the software industry you know how do you plan for or manage with all these different kind of technologies and and trying to tie them all together to make them reliable and and maintainable
1: mm-hmm. um I, I don't know that i have any special insight here. okay <laughs> I, i'm just a joe trying to get by and, and like everyone else the the uh you know web development is I think particularly nasty in that regard because there's so many different pieces that fit together um, you know so many moving parts and you know supposedly there's standards but they don't always mesh well and you know they're subject to interpretation etc um, I think that you know you said simplicity is a big part of it the you know the fewer moving parts that you have the harder it is to muck up the works so you know just keep things simple I think that you know, if you, if you don't have to make th- something any more, more complicated, don't. That, and, you know, that's just, you know, that's common sense, but a lot of people forget that. Um, in terms of, of working with the code itself, the, you know, I, like, I, I don't know that, I, that there's much that can be done about, you know, dealing with CSS versus HTML or whatever, except in, unless you, you know, you want to have good separation, of course. But when you're wor- if you're working with say your you know, your classes in your Rails code in your Ruby code, I th- you know one thing I think that helps as you build these things is define APIs internal to your own code. In some sense, this is the essence of object-oriented programming. You know, if you can crystallize something behind an interface, then that that gives you a lot more stability in your code.
0: And you can change the guts without. Changing the rest of the code that relies
1: on it, right? So, I th- I, you know, so part of object-oriented programming is you you define these classes. You think of it as an API, and you you don't want to expose anything internal to a class that you don't have to. And you know, Ruby's great with that. I like the the, the uh, visibility controls that you have in, in you know private, protected, public. I think they work better in Ruby than they do in Java, for instance. And you know, we never had that in Smalltalk, so it's nice to have those kind of flexible controls. In terms of just, of just development practice and, and kind of a design philosophy, I think that you know the focus on testing is really great. You know, test everything like crazy. But there's some some things that you have to do so that you're able to test successfully. I mean, one of them is you design for testability.
0: Okay, and that's not a bad thing. It's good because it changes the design of your program in a good way.
1: Well, well design of all sorts of things. Not just your program, but... Uh, you know, your architecture, the, you know, maybe your deployment strategy that, you know, I've, I've seen designs that were, you know, kind of planning to have a deployment strategy that would never be testable. You'd never, be, and if there were any problem, you'd never be able to figure out what that problem was. So, you know, you don't want to create, create a mess that you're never going to be able to entangle when a problem arises. So you always need to be thinking about, you know, if I run into trouble, how can I, how can I get myself out of trouble? We we had um, we had an incredibly nasty bug. My last job we were, you know we had you know this web application that talked to zillions of back-end systems. And our test environment was not a faithful reproduction of our production environment. And you know, we were, you know, we had all of these tests that in test cases that you know put our application through all the paces and did everything that we thought it should be doing. And there was it was very it, it, it was great test coverage and everything passed and then we went into production and everything blew up <laughs> and we're like what's, what's going that? on and you know we took a look and he said oh my god you know our test environment the load balancer configuration is different than it is in production. You know, what a thing to worry about. You know, the load balancer yeah. configure you know, when you're in development you don't even have a load balancer that you're worrying about, and then you go into testing and it's there and everything, oh great, it all works. And then you go into production, it's a completely different box with a different configuration. And it's like, well, no wonder we couldn't find what was going on. And so we reconfigured our, our test environment to faithfully to reproduce what, that. Yeah. We were able to figure out what the bug was pretty quickly and, and fix it. So the, there there's subtleties like that to worry about. And and there's all you know now with uh, caching, so you know everyone. Talk, you know, it's like okay, you know, I'm in development. I you know I write my caching code. It all works great, and then you go into production, and suddenly there's proxies that are caching things for you, and it's like, oh, what's going on? So, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts, and your testing strategy has to account for them. So it's
0: exciting to see Active Record. It's so easy to to get into a database. I think. A couple weeks ago, I realized you know it's been six months since I've sat down and written out a complete sequel statement. Oh, so like this, from nice. that, you know, and yeah, it was it was nice. I didn't even realize it. And as you mentioned, we have now has many through. What are there other kinds of relationships that you think Active Record might expand into, or things that maybe aren't even possible in a database right now, but with some Ruby glue could be done? What kind of a other relationships
1: could could hmm. do you? well. I, th- I think you have to be ca- be a little careful when you think about this because th- there's um, you know you can throw new features at Active Record and new kinds of associations, but you have to really kind of balance that expressiveness against performance. And that you know I've I've heard people ask for features that are really kind of lazy programmer features, okay, a- and that could really um, Bring a database to its knees, uh, you know. For instance, uh, you know, join, 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 join automatically. Yeah, uh, and you know, joining is one of the you know hardest things you can do to it with the so database. So let's make it do it you for know, me, but maybe right. that's
0: not a good idea.
1: Right. So, uh, I don't know. I have a. I I've done some work with object databases as opposed to ORM. Um, yep. You know the mapping layer. And they're really different kind of beasts. I, I I know that there's some people who are saying that it would be great if Active Record were more like an object database, but I think that what it is is great for what it is, and I'm not going to try and try and make that change. <laughs> the, I I, you know, I think it's great uh, being a mapping layer. The, there are some things that you could think about doing though. Um, people have talked about you know maybe you want to do through associations through. You know, uh, has and belongs to many relationships So you know, or just arbitrarily through anything that you happen to ha- have a, as an association. So we you could know. reach a little further. Yeah, and and that's some of that join, 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 but it's a little more controlled. So you know, for instance, you might have a company has many divisions. A division has many departments. Department has many groups. You know, so you can say company.
0: Show me all the groups.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. So so you'd say company has many departments through divisions. And then maybe it has many groups through departments. You know, the, the code in Active Record to do that right now is a little gross for being able to make that happen, but uh, you know, conceivably that's something that might be fun to do. And you you know, you could get some leverage out of that by putting conditions on the various levels. That's um, that's kind of something that people have talked about a little bit, and you know, maybe that'd be nice. One of the things that. I've seen people request a lot in the mailing list. Maybe not a lot, but a few times in the mailing list is uh, kind of tracking the dirty state of objects and their associated objects, so that if you have a parent object and you save it, any of its children that have been dirtied get saved automatically. Okay. Uh, that you know that that would obviously be something that would be really convenient in a lot of cases. Uh, there's probably some things that you can do right now to to make that happen. You know. But that, that's a potential feature that could be cool. The, uh, the other thing is looking at alternatives to say, you know, STI, you know, single table inheritance. Yeah, and I think that's something that everybody runs into. You know, when they start, you know, playing with STI, they think, oh well, you know, wouldn't it be great to have class in- class table inheritance or concrete table inheritance? You know, Martin Fowler has those three patterns on his on his website. Talks about how to do. Oh, so single
0: table is one, but he had two other variations. Yes,
1: Yes. a single table, you do everything in one table. Um, Class table, I think, I I go a little confused between the two to the terminology of the other two, but class table, I think you have a table for each segment in the inheritance hierarchy. Concrete table, you have a table for each concrete class uh, that includes the attributes from the superclass. I think everybody runs into a case sooner or later with STI where you have subclasses that have just a whole bunch of attributes and they don't overlap, and you know so you have a lot of wasted space in your table and people hate that. Uh, so, and it and it makes your objects feel clunky, and sometimes you want to do a different form of of inheritance. So, obviously STI works great for a lot of things. Um, I'm not saying there's anything broken about it, but uh, you know people some you know you know. People sometimes want something different for their their requirements, and I'm sure that as soon as somebody wants it badly enough, they're going to write a you know write a mod to to Active Record that does that. And, and, you know, maybe they will even be able to roll it back into as a patch or a core type thing. I
0: mean, to me, that's one of the exciting things about working with Ruby is you feel like you're at this level of kind of academic computer science topics, and yet. It's also practical, and you're using it.
1: It's extremely practical. straight in there. There's
0: not a whole range in between of where you have to dig down to actually doing something useful with it.
1: Right, and I and I love the um, the default answer when people say, "Well, how come it doesn't do this?" And the answer is always, "No one has thought it was worth implementing." It. <laughs> and if you do, then <laughs> go get for working. It. Yeah, go for it. So, I but um, but it, I mean, in terms of new features and, and practicality, I th- I think that the core team is just doing a really good job of keeping the focus on extraction from things that actually work in real applications. And I, I remember Ralph Johnson, you know, one of the Gang of Four, saying in OOPSLA years and years ago, talking about reusable frameworks and saying, you know, you don't ship code unless you've tested it, right? Uh-huh. People building reusable frameworks, you can't claim that you've tested it unless you've actually used it more than once. You've got to reuse it. And, you know, I think that the philosophy in, you know, the Rails core team is very much, you know, we're only accepting things that are proven to work and they have valuable over time repeatedly. And, you know, so you can kind of sit and, you know, think up these cool features that might be fun to have, but you just get yourself in trouble if you you don't actually have a practical application and a real-world use for them.
0: And even cutting out some of the Deadwood components the core team has said they, don't, they aren't really using them, so those are going to go away. They'll still be available as a plug-in. If you use them, you can still keep using them.
1: Yeah, and it's not even just a matter of, of getting the thing into the framework. You know, like Action Web Service I, I believe is getting turned into a plug-in yeah. some, sometime pretty soon. Which, uh, I have a lot of respect for that decision. You know, if, you know, when a project gets big, just the weight of code in that project becomes a burden on maintaining it. And, you know, to the extent that you can cut off the dead weight or the stuff that's not used as commonly, and put it somewhere where it can be maintained on an independent schedule. That's great. That you know, it makes it easier to pay attention to the stuff that's important to the you know, you know the core stuff that's important to most people.
0: Definitely going to be an exciting summer. We've got Rails conference coming up in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I think I think Rails Day is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and Rails conferences can be good. I'm really looking forward to you know, meeting all these people in person that I only know online. Yeah. You know, from listening to podcasts of them or uh, you're reading about all them. All that.
0: <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, great to meet you in San Francisco. Definitely going to be looking out for the good stuff you keep doing, posting on the Rails blog, fixing bugs. And if you ever get on the core team, It's because of me, and because, uh... uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll send you the $5. okay. (laughs) And a sticker. And And the sticker, sticker. yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks a lot. This has been the
0: Ruby on Rails podcast. Transcripts courtesy of imapenguin.com. Intro music by Kate. Closing music by Wide Lucky Stiff. Audio equipment by Samson Audio.